If you're going to build something from nothing, you've got to know what really works. I took a $1,000 loan and built a $5 billion business, and now I make smart investments in new businesses on Shark Tank. This is Barbara Corcoran, and you're listening to Business Unusual. Most people think if you're going to start a business, you have to jump in hook, line, and sinker and put your whole heart and soul in and get it going full time. Well, I'm here to tell you that most of my most successful entrepreneurs started their business while holding another full-time job. And today, we're going to hear from two of the most successful entrepreneurs in the country, Jim and Sabin, two cousins out of Maine, who came up with the idea of bringing lobster to L.A. And that's how they got started. And so, in the last six years, they've grown their tiny little part-time truck into a $20 million business, and we're going to learn a few lessons from them today. So, why don't you start by telling us, after you say hello, of course, tell us a short story of how you got started and why you went into this crazy lobster business in the first place. Yeah, good morning, Barb. Good it's morning, Barb. We, we love you. You're my favorite still. <laughs> oh, obviously. Yeah, Barb, this is Jim. You know, how we got started was a pretty cool story for us because it really revolves around family and recreating our childhood. I came out to Los Angeles, you know, six years ago to see an ex-girlfriend and ended up spending all my time with Sabin, which is... Started with a girl, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but we we sat together and we reminisced about our family and our days growing up in Maine and our grandparents and aunts and uncles and all the crazy cousins. And every family interaction, you know, obviously had that staple, which was our main lobster, the lobster bakes, the lobster rolls, and way too much wine for our parents. But that's what we thought about. And we're family, we're in, we're in love with that. And we wanted to recreate that in Los Angeles and that experience we had growing up. So we said, how do we bring Maine lobster across the country? You mean you actually had that dream, if I could interrupt, Jim, you actually yeah. had the dream, how do we do it across the country versus how do we do it on a weekend in a truck? Well, Sabin was stubborn and he wasn't going to leave Los Angeles probably. That was one reason. But the, the real reason being is that the food truck fad was really taken off in Los Angeles. It didn't exist back east. Mm -hmm. So we said, hey, maybe that's a low cost way to get into the business, bring our main lobster, serve it to a clientele that wasn't you know, privy to it like we were growing up. Mm -hmm. And maybe that'd be an opportunity to identify a new market, a new business, and something that we could be really passionate about with family, our love, and kind of create smiles through the food. Okay. So, so me listening to that, which of course is something I'm very familiar with, but the people listening aren't, I get it. I get why uh, it was born out of your own passion. I think uh, what always amazes me is why weren't you too scared to start it? I mean, you had a great job, Jim. You were making good money uh, selling pharmaceutical equipment, I believe. And, and Sabin, you were successful in real estate. Uh, most people don't have the courage to just spring off, leave their job, and start something new. Where did you find that courage? This is Sabin, Barb. I think for us... Uh you know, we initially weren't planning on leaving our jobs. So we, you know, we said, this is going to be a side business. You know, we'll hopefully make a little bit of money. And more importantly, we'll get to work together. So I think in hindsight, that's the reason why we were successful. We, we didn't cut any corners because this wasn't going to be the end game. This was just something 
to do together. And then all of a sudden, you know, the day that we opened, we opened the door and there was a hundred people in line. And, and it was then, on a weekend, as I recall, right? A weekend you opened? Yeah, yeah it was, it was crazy. And Around your other jobs. It, yeah. yeah. It, you know, suddenly we're, we're making six, $7,000 a day and, Holy God. We're, you know, we're working two jobs and, you know, two months later we're on Shark Tank and we're, we're partnered with you. That's when uh, clearly we knew we had something very, very big. How big, you know, we didn't know. But it would be impossible for us to find out how big it was if we didn't really take that ultimate leap of faith, which was quitting our jobs and going all in. So that was scary. But, you know, you bet on each other and uh, you bet on on your product. And and we feel like we're the best and Maine Lobster is the best. So we went all in. I got to believe that there were another hundred people in L.A. that day that you guys were sitting around enjoying a beer and thinking about what do we do? Why don't we do this passion? A lot of other people sitting around thinking, all right, I have a passion and let's do this. And they never get off the ground. What is it that you used yourselves or with each other or leaning on each other? What was the magic sauce that made you say, great idea, and then the next morning after you got over your hangover saying, let's do it? What got you off the first, I guess got you off the curb getting into the business in the first place? Because I find that most people just can't do that first step. What was it that got you to do that first step? Yeah, well, I think you're right. Saban had a hangover for sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the biggest thing for us, and we, we say it, you know, years after the fact, was really the ability to take the leap and, and take the plunge. Um, and, you know, people come up to us today and say, oh, my God, I was going to do this, or we saw you on Shark Tank, or I was going to start my own business selling pencils or lobster or whatever it may be. But the difference is, is that they didn't uh, or they haven't yet. And I think for Saban and I at the time, there came a time right after those big sales and that initial launch where we said, hey, we've got to either go all in or this may just be on cruise control and and who knows what happens to it. So I moved across the country and quit my job, Saban quit real estate. And really we relied on our laurels and ethics and, and work ethic that we grew up with. Um, and that was innate in us. And we knew that. So we said, okay, well, let's go all in, believe in ourselves and take that leap. From there, we would have no choice but to make it work because the only other option was failure. Mm-hmm. And changing your whole life uh, for the two of us wouldn't, wouldn't be obviously able to accept the failure. And how hard do you work? from the get-go? Like, how many hours do you put in typically? I, I think I was on the phone with someone yesterday and, you know, it's kind of typical if you if you don't talk to someone in a while and they go, oh man, you must be living the life. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're partying, you're, mil- you're millionaires, you're crazy. And, and the reality is, is, hey, A, we're not. And B, we're working harder than we've ever worked. It's funny. I said to him, I go, man, I'm working harder today than I've ever worked in my life. And it seems like every year we work more you know, we're in the office at seven, uh, we're leaving, uh, at, you know, probably seven, six, seven. And then when you go home, you're squeezing in some family time, but the phone is always on. And more importantly, your brain is always on. So, you know, I work seven days a week. I know Jim does as well, because right now with where our business is going and the trajectory of where it's going, there's, there's no real time for days off. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of sacrifice of being an entrepreneur who cares and having a thriving business is that you have to write it. Jim, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed and you feel not focused because out of sheer exhaustion? I know every great entrepreneur gets into that situation frequently. What do you do? Yeah, I, th- I think we know each other well enough and we know our staff well enough when someone's getting burned out that they need some time off, whether it's a day, an hour or two, or you know, a ping pong game in the office or a vacation. 
Um, so we're pretty communicative about that. We respect each other's boundaries when it comes to that and say, hey, listen, I need, a, I need a break. Don't call me. Don't text me. I need you to handle this. I'm going off the grid here for a little while. And usually it doesn't take more than a day or two just to kind of get a little refreshed and recharged. But mm-hmm. as long as you re- respect each other's boundaries, and this, the same thing goes for your staff because they're, they're working, working really, really hard as well. So as long as you can kind of understand that, it's really not a problem. Sometimes I don't see Saban for a month or two when he takes his time off. He says he's leaving for a day and 60 days later that's, I see him. That's the price of partnership, Barb. <laughs> of course. Uh, how do you identify the great employees? When I go to your shop, everybody's wildly enthusiastic. They all act as though they have the single best job in the world. How do you identify those people? Where do you get your talent from? You use an employment agency. What do you do to the people when they first start working with you to make them feel wholly enthusiastic about your goals? Empowering. How do you motivate and find the good people in the first place? Well, obviously, we try to find the people that believe and are passionate and and bleed Cousins Maine Lobster. We obviously want to invest in them and find truly amazing people to work with. Just like our franchisees, we do the same with our staff here. We use obviously pieces online, whether it's Indeed.com or other groups that will help us find these people. But at the end of the day, they come in and Saban and I have a pretty good intuition to how they can mold and build and become a part of Cousins Maine Lobster. And we invest in them. We bring them back to Maine. We get them on a lobster boat. We show them everything about the industry so that they can really feel a part of this. And ultimately, we empower them. You know, we want them to feel like they have autonomy uh, and, and not to be micromanaged. I think that's, you know, one of the things obviously we've learned from you and other mentors throughout our time too is, you know, give them some tools and education, tell them tasks and things that we want accomplished and have them really feel part of the team and family. And we've learned it's not so much always about financial gain for them, although that is awarded, but to feel grateful for their services and what they do for the team. And usually that's what they want in return as well. And we've been able to build a nice team around that. And Jim, just another question on that. How do you find the people in the first place, though? I hear that, what you do once you get them over at Cousins and how you empower them. But how do you find good talent? Yeah, so a multitude of ways. We we use Indeed.com. We use um, Craigslist. Um, you know, obviously a big part of our business, obviously, is referrals, word of mouth. <laughs> and to be perfectly honest with you, we and franchisees and others will go right to places where we enjoy their employees and, and start talking to people as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there are people that are hard workers and, and phenomenal in the industry and they're looking for other jobs and you know, we just make connections and networks and that's, you know, over time, maybe maybe they're looking to work with Cousins Maine Lobster. And today, do you have a, a flow of people coming into your firm looking for jobs beyond what you have the positions for? Yeah, we do. We, we constantly hire, even when we think we're fully hired, we constantly have ads out. It could be a Facebook post, it could be Instagram, it could be just us showing what we're doing in the office and saying, hey, if you're interested in joining the team. Because truthfully, the one thing that is really interesting with hiring is you really never know sometimes what people are going to be good at. So you might hire them to be working in a franchise department, but they thrive on the e-commerce aspect or their social media skills are okay, but they're really, really good with customer service. Mm. So a lot of times we'll just hire someone and, and see how they naturally progress within our company. And a lot of times they don't work out and we're amicable and we just part ways quickly. But if they're good and they show real strengths in different things that we don't necessarily know from an interview, then they kind of find their own 
own way within our business too. So I think Jim and I have learned not to necessarily put too many boundaries or constraints on a new hire, but tell them what we expect, tell them what we're hired for. And then oftentimes they find the, they find their own wings within the company. Mm -hmm. Great answer. May I ask you, um, what's the one thing in the first couple of years of business that was your biggest mistake that you had a hard time recovering from? Um, well, I'd say, you know, you taught us this one, which is not every opportunity is a good opportunity. And we, you know, we say it's a lot. When Jim and I first got into business, it was almost like we could do no wrong. I mean, we were, we're, we're batting a thousand. You were so confident, no doubt. We were confident, <laughs> and a lot of a lot of a lot of opportunities come your way. Very similarly to how they come to our franchisees now when they open in new markets, and they'll call us with these great ideas like, "Oh, you'll never guess. We have the chance to go here and do this and do that." And listening to it for as an outsider, as I'm sure you used to listen to, it sounds like they're getting a little off track. And the same thing happened to us. So in the first couple of years, um, it was such a roller coaster ride of actually learning who we are, who the brand is, you know, some of just the foundations of a company, we got sidetracked at times. Mm -hmm. And that not only costs money, but it costs time. And the most important, valuable thing is time. And Sabin, tell us about the uh, truck debacle. Yeah, well, the truck debacle was... That you came out of that is amazing, really. Yeah, we, you know, we um, just started our franchise business. We had 10 groups ready to open. It was more, it was just awesome. We were so excited. And we decided that we wanted to really streamline the process of who our builder was going to be. So we, we looked at, you know, a couple different truck fabricators and we decided to use this one fabricator. And, you know, the fabricator started putting out the first couple trucks and there were problems. Uh, they were defaulted. They were they were breaking down and, and everyone else in the system were hearing about it and they were nervous. And these were trucks that you didn't pay for, but you asked your franchisee. The, the franchisee paid for them. Oh. And suddenly, um, you know, delays started coming. They were going to open in February, but now he's saying maybe March and then he just stopped answering the phone. Um, then he shut his business down. So you sold these people on a franchise, mm-hmm. and they had to buy an expensive truck. Mm-hmm. And then you recommended this particular guy, and then they couldn't get their truck. Correct. You must have been popular. Yeah, we, we were very popular. We were not sleeping. It was really, truthfully, the worst time, I think, in both of our lives. You know, we'd worked so hard to get to that moment for someone to take it. And it was it was very, very scary because you had people who put their life savings into this who were genuinely scared too. We hired a good law firm. We didn't sleep. We worked on it. We uh, we did literally every single thing that we could do. At one point, I took one of our trucks off of our road here in LA and I sent it to North Carolina so they could use one of our trucks. We just got as creative and hardworking as possible. We managed to get everyone their money back and or a truck. We fought in court for years and, and we, we persevered. We came out alive and better and smarter and stronger. And in the end, did you lose any of your very dedicated franchisees over that debacle? No, we didn't lose any of them. And if, if anything, I you know I, I know that they saw the mistake with working with these people, but, you know, they saw that, you know, when it gets hard and, uh, yeah, if shit hits the fan, if it gets to be a really terrible situation, we aren't going to budge, we aren't going to fold, we're not going to crumble, and we're going to have their back. And I think that was really the, the takeaway. How did that setback, Sabin and Jim, uh, push you forward in your business? Was there any upside to that, looking back at it? Like, oh, good thing that happened, because if it wasn't for that, this wouldn't have happened, or was it just a bad experience? Well, I think you kind of referenced it earlier, Barbara, and that not every small business or every new business is just, you know, roses, like like when we started out. And I think that to kind of get slapped upside the face one way or another is a real learning curve for any business owners or any new group starting out. And clearly, we would have never wished that upon ourselves or our franchisees. But I do think, like Sabin said, 
It was a massive learning experience for us. Not a lot of groups would have come out of that. Um, so you back was up against the wall. Um, and like Saban said, whatever we had to do, we would do because, you know, we made a pledge and a commitment to our franchisees to make this a successful business, to make it one for them and their cities. Um, so I think that, you know, really gave us the experience of a, of a lifetime that maybe not other businesses have that early on mm-hmm. and prepared us for other things down the road. And I think that the franchisees also understood that and as, as as much of a mistake as it was you know it was something that showed them the humanity side you know in us and kind of created a stronger bond and loyalty for things going forward and that would come in the future mm-hmm. i know you've had a crazy growth and scaled your franchise model but what's next brag a minute restaurants everywhere trucks <laughs> what does your dream look like now or are you satisfied you might be satisfied you should be you've done well <laughs> I- I don't think we're the type that are ever satisfied. I think ultimately we have, we truly enjoy what we're doing. Like it's a challenge. It's fun. We love growing the main lobster industry throughout these different cities and countries. Um, we love working with new phenomenal franchisees and, and going to new cities, states, countries, and, and, you know, even on the other side of the world, like we're just in Taiwan. It's really phenomenal to see our product and our brand and people enjoying the food. So we are uh, continuing to franchise. There are a bunch of cities still left for food trucks that have the great weather and climates and seasonality for trucks. But there's also uh, the huge upside in the restaurants. That's starting to just grow in, in crazy scale. We're adding more and more restaurants where they can go. And, you know, again, whether it's a colder climate, warm, you want to be in AC or in heat. Um, but there's always a given address, always the hours. Um, and it fits in all you know countries and, and cities throughout the world for uh, bringing our cousins Maine Lobster to. Well, let me tell you, you make so many people happy. And I've never seen a happier group of franchisees than all the people that are running the trucks right now and having a business of their own under your brand. Amazing. My congratulations. And where do we find your book? <laughs> yeah, CousinsMainLobster.com. There's links to the book. You can go to Amazon. Um, you know, just, just you can go to our webpage. Um, and we have exciting news is we are, uh, we are opening in New York City here in the next couple months. Yahoo! So, uh, finally, I don't have to go to California to get my lobster. So rolls. finally, so finally you can, you have a space to brag upon in your backyard. Okay. I'm going to eat lunch there at least twice a week. No doubt about that. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you guys so very much for sharing all that good information. All right, Barb. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success on Business Unusual. Business Unusual is part of the iHeartRadio Podcast Network. Be sure to follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Our executive producer is Sandy Smolens for Audiation. Our mixer is Dave Savage. Chris Peterson is Senior Vice President of Podcasts for iHeartRadio.